Grab your Bible. We're going to be in the Word today, obviously, as we always are, and we're going to continue along the path that we've been on. We are in Nehemiah. So you were in Esther last week. We're in Nehemiah this week. It's the 16th book of the Bible. It's right before Esther. Um, and same general time period, at least in the ballpark, during the rule of Persia and stuff like that. So if if you remember or not, uh, I won't walk back through the whole story today. We'll get back to it next week. I'll run through it one more time because after next week, we're in the New Testament. So that's pretty amazing. That's a huge accomplishment. This has been a long time in the Old Testament, but after next week, we'll be in the New Testament. So, uh, and side note, next week we'll have another team here too. So they're here right in time for Malachi, which is one of the heaviest books in the Bible. So welcome to Phoenix. Uh, anyway, this week we're in Nehemiah. And I, like I said, I'm not going to go back through the whole story of events, but we've been following the story of God and we've been following the seed, the promised child of God that was promised to um, Eve in the garden when they chose sin uh, instead of obedience to the Lord and death entered the world and God promised a Messiah. So we followed that thread until we've come to a nation of people. That nation is Israel. That nation is in its land that God promised to their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, until they rebel against God on a repeated basis, and they are expelled from the land uh, in two different ways. They first split in half uh, in a bit of a civil war and civil battle, and then the northern kingdom in 722 is conquered by Assyria. It's history. You can look it up. Assyria is one of the first great world powers. Some argue it was the first world power, not the strongest nation on earth, not that kind of, not that modern thing, like ruled the known world thing. Nobody on earth like that now. Ruled the known world. All right, so that was Assyria. Some say Egypt was first, but Assyria, then after Assyria in 720, Assyria conquered in 722. After that, in 586 BC, Babylon, who had conquered Assyria and become a bigger, more powerful world leader, then conquered the northern, the southern kingdom. And so all of Israel is into exile by 586 B.C. and they're slaves. Daniel, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, these three are slaves. Um, 539 B.C., Persia conquers Babylon. And Persia is then ruler of the whole wide world. And one of the first rulers of Persia, as as a world kingdom, Cyrus, in 538, a year later, in 70 years of exile for the Jews, and says, you can go home. Uh, and so he starts what will be three waves of Jewish people going back to the land of Israel. You can imagine after 70 years what the land of Israel was like. Uh, it was pretty rough, to say the least, when they came back. There were already people who lived there in the rubble of what was left from these conquering and, and other stuff. And so that's where we're going to land today, um, is talking about that. And um, also, one thing I want to point out that's going to be central to today is the Word of God. And I talk about the Word of God a lot, but but let me just point out a couple of things. Like, what you hold in your Bible is a miracle. Or in your hand, excuse me, your Bible. It's a miracle. Like, it, it, it shouldn't be. 
It's honestly, it's, it's impossible. It's a library, so it's one reason it's hard to read front to back because you would never walk in a library and start the first shelf and go through. It would make no sense. It's a library. It is a chronological story. That's what we've been following. But it's not in chronological order. It's categorized as a library would be categorized. It is 40 different authors who all tell the one story of the one God, which is astounding that 40 different people could describe the same God. That's a mind blower. But past that, they did it over 1,600 years of time. Put that into perspective. 1,600 years of time, 40 different authors. They weren't all sitting down in a room going, yeah, that's what I said. They didn't all copy each other. Well, yeah, I saw the same thing. He said blah, blah, blah. They were in different places at different points in time. Three different languages Predominantly Hebrew and Greek, but there's a little Aramaic in there, which is kind of a busted type Hebrew. Three different languages, man. I, how many languages do you know? Some of you in the room might know two. I know one. I've been working on Spanish for a very long time, but you're not going to hear me speak it anytime soon. I, I would love to, maybe. But one language, one language for me, three different languages this thing was written in. It's not possible, y'all, unless it's true. 40 different authors on four different continents across 1,600 years of time in three different languages all describe the same God. It's the highest selling book of all time. Nobody has any idea how many at this point because it's out, it's out of count. It's been out of count for ages. Uh, it is written and translated into 22, well, more than that now, closer to 2,300 Different languages. 2,300 different languages. The next closest book to that, the next closest book to that is Pilgrim's Progress, which is also a Christian book. And it's in the 200s. That's an astronomical jump, y'all. The point I'm coming to is this is real. It is true. And I could go on. There's so many facts about this that are just not, it's just not possible unless it's actually the truth. Now, I say all that to say, I'm going to tell you right up front, the title of this thing is The Key to God. And the key to God is what you're holding in your hand. It's what you're holding in your hand. The world doesn't want you to believe that. Even some religions and faiths don't want you to believe that. They have other keys or experiences or things, but that's it. So go to Nehemiah chapter 8, and I'm going to, we'll get into this. Chapter 8, verse 8. Uh, and I'll back up on who Nehemiah is in just a second. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is a holy day to the Lord your God. Don't mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And don't be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Lord, your word is awesome. Um, I, I say it every week. It's just every time I read it, it's the first thing that comes to my mind. It's amazing. It's incredible, Lord. It, it, it's your word. It's not mine. Even as I stated these facts a minute ago, like I'm just reminded again, like it's you are there. You are you exist. You are real. You are true. And you have spoken and you have ordered it written down and we hold it. Lord, I pray that you would pour that word into our hearts. 
Lord, that you would push sin out of our hearts, that we would confess it before you, ask forgiveness, Lord, that we would dump it in the hole, uh, Lord, and, and allow you to bury it forever, and that in that place, God, you fill our hearts with your word. Don't let it be an empty place. Let it be a place that's full of your word at all times, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, quickly. What's the story of Nehemiah? Well, you may not know, but I'm fixing to tell you. And I'm going to do it a little bit different way because I'm going to share something. Most of you know I'm a football coach, uh, voluntary. Uh, I don't get paid for it, but I love doing it. It's my way to connect with the community a little bit and serve. And uh, But I do coach some positions, one in particular, linebackers. But my main job is character. That's what I'm really there to do is character. Now, pretty much everybody knows I'm a pastor. Certainly the... Um, the coach that brought me on, the head coach, knows I'm a pastor. That's one reason he brought me on. I cannot be a chaplain because it's not allowed in a public school. So I can't go in there preaching or talking about that kind of thing in a public manner. So have to navigate that pretty good. This week, I was there for character, and I did Nehemiah. But I never said Nehemiah. So this is the story of Nehemiah, kind of the way that I told them. And you'll see why I told it to them this way. I told it to them as an ancient builder. Uh, in B.C. times, an ancient builder who grew up a slave. He didn't know anything outside of slavery. His grandparents told stories about home. His great-grandparents told amazing stories about home. But he'd never seen that place. He grew up as a slave. Uh, and he longed for that place, but he'd never been there. Well, when he got older and learned more and came to know more about it, and, and the kings of the day changed, the king of the people he was enslaved to said, uh, you, you're free to go back if you want. You're free to go home. And he'd heard stories that home was, was uh, nothing like it had been, that it was bad. It was really bad. And so he asked, could he go and rebuild or, or go take care of something. The king said, absolutely you can. In fact, I'll do better than that. I'll give you money to buy building supplies and I'll give you a letter because the people when you get there are probably not going to appreciate the fact that after 70 years you just come back and you're just going to rebuild on what they've probably claimed. So it's probably not going to be good. So I'll give you a letter stating that you have permission to do this. So when this ancient builder goes back home, it's way worse than he thought. It's way worse than he thought. The houses, some of them are super fancy where they built them up. And then some of them are just trashed. People are still living in a disaster zone. Uh, they're still being threatened by people around them. Um, and he's heartbroken over it, but he gets right to work. And he tells the people, okay, you're going to come over here and you're going to work right here. Get your crew. You're all going to be right here. You guys, you're going to be right here and you're going to do this right here. You guys are going to be right over here. You're going to do this right here. You're going to build bricks. You guys are going to stack and put it up right here. Y'all going to come over here and on this side. And all we're going to focus on is the wall. We're not going to build houses. Not going to be we're just going to build the wall around the city. Well, when he starts to do that, the people who are racist, to say the least, among other things, around them, hate them for it and threaten to kill them immediately. They're going to come attack. So the builder says, okay, man, you got two hands. One hand, hammer, other hand, sword. One hand, hammer, other hand, sword. One hand, hammer, other hand, sword. And then he says, and you, you, and you stand behind them while they work and hold your swords so that it can be seen. And that actually, that flex, so to speak, as we would call it, works pretty good. The people back off initially, but then they get sneaky. 
And they start trying to lure the builder out. Hey, come out here and uh, catch up with this man. We got something we want to talk to you about when they obviously are really plotting against him, but he's smart enough to know better. So he doesn't do that. And they keep building and they keep going. Then these guys continue and they get crafty again and they come in and they start saying, hey, you know, this dude really, this dude really ain't looking out for you. He's really just trying to build his, his place, his wall. This wall's for his kingdom. Man, you know what this guy's really up to? He really ain't doing what you think he's doing. You really think he cares about you? He's building. He, he just, they sneak in and they start spreading rumors, which happens to say the least. And as that begins to happen, he gets wise to it and he comes and he presents the truth and he squashes that pretty quick and stops it and they keep building. Then these guys go a step further and they come in and they say, hey, listen, you're best buddies with this guy. You guys are best friends, and they pay this guy who's supposed to be a best friend to the builder. They pay him to go tell the builder, hey, we want to have, let's, let's sit down and talk. I got something serious. We need to talk someplace where it's safe, where we can be alone, and we can talk and not be bothered. And he tries to take him to the temple. Uh, now, I told the football players a sacred place, but it's the temple. Try to take him to this sacred place, to the temple, to talk. Well, he's not allowed to be in there, and neither is the other guy. So what he's really trying to do is get him in a place he doesn't belong in order to expose him for a fraud. Because why is he standing in that place? He's not supposed to be there. I told you he's a liar, a cheater, whatever else. All these things continue, but he catches each and every one of them and he continues to build. And then if that isn't bad enough, now he catches his own people. His own people are taxing his own, you want to live next to me? That's cool, but you got to pay me to live next to me. Now, they didn't say that to the strong dudes. Like, they didn't walk over there and say it to you, bro, because you would have said, I dare you to reach in my pocket and tell me. No, they, they're finding the weak. They're finding the, the, the widows and whatever else and saying, no, nah, we're taxing you. You owe us money. And they're saying, and then look, you're hungry. I know you're hungry. It's not safe to be out trying to find food. So we'll pay you. We'll give you money. I'll give you $3. You can go buy some food, but you owe me five. You owe me five. And they start to take advantage of the people. He finds out about that. The builder comes and basically tells them that they're going to be, they're going to find themselves cursed by God and everybody else if they don't stop and set it right. They feel guilty. They feel bad. They do. They set it right. And they continue to build. All along, the builder never builds his own home, builds right beside him, lives right beside him, and spends his own money to the point of nearly becoming broke to pay for the bricks and, I mean, to pay for their food while they're stacking bricks and whatever. He pays for their food out of his own pocket. And every 10 to 15 days, he gives them enough money to buy some wine and stuff and have just kind of an off day and relax. And enjoy themselves. And I asked the dudes in the football team, what do you see that's great about this man as a leader? You know, and then we talked about that a while, and we're not going to talk about it now. But think about it now. Everything I just told you, what is it about him that makes him a great leader? There's a lot. And then I told him, And for the record, it's a true story. It happened in the 400s B.C. when Nehemiah ordered the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem. And the wall, portions of that wall are still standing, large portions, 2,000 years later. So the actual history, 538 B.C., 
Cyrus gives that order to go back. The first wave goes back and they start rebuilding the temple and some of their houses, but that's all. And the temple, as they're trying to rebuild God's temple, they're continuing to be attacked and whatever. And they keep quitting and they keep going back to it and they keep quitting. That's a whole nother story. Uh, but in the process of it, they finally get it done in 515 BC. I'm giving you dates not to be boring, to do just the opposite. These things happened. These things happened. 515, the temple is finally finished. Uh, but life there is miserable. So the second wave comes of people in 458 BC. Ezra is among them. So you have the book before Nehemiah, which is Ezra. Ezra and Nehemiah, those two books go together pretty good. They overlap. They talk about a lot of the same things. Okay. So Ezra comes on the second group, uh, and he comes back and tries to, he's a priest and a scribe and comes back. You can read about him in your own time. 444, Nehemiah on the third wave comes back. So by 445, Nehemiah, Ezra, and a temple all exist in this place, but the wall building begins. Ezra's a priest and a scribe, writer, recorder of history. That's what scribe means. He's just recording history. And Nehemiah is the governor. Haggai and Zechariah are prophets at the time. So your Bible, there's two other, Haggai and Zechariah. Those are two other books in your Bible. Those are prophets at the same time. So all of these people are present at the moment. Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah. So one more thing before jumping in, and we're going to go quick. That was to give you the background of the book, and we're going to go quick in the next piece here. But the point to remember, God's word is not just a reference tool. It is access to God and a way of life. I don't know how to say that. That's about as blunt as it comes. God's word's not a reference to just a reference tool. It's an access to God and a way of life. So look at verse one, Nehemiah eight, and this is where we're going to camp as we finish through this. All the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. So one of the gates into the city is called the water gate. Not anything weird about that. That's just the name of it. And they're in front of it, facing kind of the big open square. And they told Ezra the scribe priest, both here, to bring the book or scroll is what it would have been literally of the law of Moses and the Lord that the Lord had commanded Israel. So what's cool is they asked for it. Do you see that? They told Ezra, go get this. We want to hear from God. Go get his word. It says the law of Moses really is the law of God given to Moses. Now, I'm not correcting the Bible here. It's fine. It's called the law of Moses at times. Um, But eventually that becomes a problem. As it is today, because there's too much emphasis put on Moses here and Moses role in all of this. So much so that the people of Israel, you'll see, will miss their true savior because they still cling to Moses as their savior and they miss Jesus as the savior. When I was in, uh, I was in Ukraine, I've been to Ukraine several times. I was in Ukraine at one point with a friend of mine who was a mentor in my life. Of all things, Hebrew and Israel. Uh, he took me to Israel, uh, trained me in a lot of things, taught me Hebrew. Uh, but I was in Ukraine with him, and we found a synagogue, and we just walked in the synagogue. And uh, sat, it was really weird to me to just walk right in. It was the middle of the day, though. It wasn't like a worship service. It was like a Tuesday or something. But it was open. So we walked in. And uh, there were some guys that greeted us as we came in, like, what are you guys doing here, whatever. And we're like, well, we just came to say hi. You know, we... We love the Jewish people. I don't remember what he, he said something. 
And uh, there were about three, three or four of us. And they had like a study room, kind of like this room up here is in our church, kind of like a study room, which is where everybody was. And so we walked into the study room and sat down. There's about five of them and three or four of us. And uh, within minutes, the rabbi's there. Like somebody had called the rabbi no and said, hey, these Christians walked in or something like that. And so they, he comes running in to guard his flock, I guess. And he was young. Uh, he was nice, but he was really guarded. Spoke English. Um, and he sat down with us. He didn't run us out. He sat down with us and allowed us to talk for a while. And it was a really interesting conversation. But one thing that was brought up and the reason I tell the story is because uh, the guy who was the, the one that was kind of leading us and most fluent at this kind of conversation told the rabbi, have you ever read the Brit Kaddishah, which is the New Testament? Do you, do you read the Brit Kaddishah? And he said, maybe one day. And he pointed to this bookshelf on the wall that was about as big as that wall over there, huge bookshelf. And he said, when I get through all the writings of Moses, then we'll see. Maybe I read it then. But right now I have to get, I focus on Moses. Now Moses didn't write that much. He's talking about all the commentaries that people had written about Moses and about Moses' writings and whatever. But his whole focus was Moses because he's still seeing it as the law of Moses. Anyway, I'm not trying to correct this, but don't, don't mistake the law of Moses as though Moses wrote it. He did not. He gave it. All right. So verse two. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and it says, and all who could understand what they heard. Mark that. All who could understand what they heard. On the first day of the seventh month, a specific date, and he read from it facing the square before the water gate. So he's facing the crowd from early morning until midday. So all morning long. We're in here an hour. You can imagine from 4 a.m. until noon. In the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. Again, those who could understand. And the ears, I love this, of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra, the scribe, stood on a wooden platform that they'd made for this purpose. So they, when the people wanted to hear it, he said, okay. They built a platform. He stood on it. They named the people that are standing there beside him. Verse 5 says, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, and he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. Some make that a rule for church. I've been in that church before. I've been on staff in, quote, that church before, where if the Bible's read, you stand. Uh, we don't do that here, obviously. I... I think it's cool if you do it. If you don't, that's fine, whatever. But it's not a rule. There's nowhere that says that's a rule that you must stand. Um, I think if you're going to do that, do it all over the place. Like that means when you uh, open your Bible at home, you stand. You know what I mean? So uh, that's not the point here. But the point that is being made is this deep reverence. Like he didn't, he didn't say, please stand as I open the scroll. He opened it and they instinctively stood. It's like when you start to hear the national anthem. I'm not comparing the Bible to the national anthem, but you understand the point I'm making. When you hear the music, regardless of political stuff, you know what I mean? You instinctively go to stand. So it's, it, it's almost like this is a moment we should stand for. I don't know. They weren't sitting in chairs. Because they're in this gate. They're probably sitting in the floor on the ground. I mean, some are probably standing. But anyway, they, they, they see it roll open. They stand out of reverence for it. Obviously, there's a time when it's appropriate. It's not necessarily a rule. And just so you know, synagogues today follow this format. Uh, if you ever go to one, you'll see it. If you don't, I'm telling you right now. It, nothing wrong with it. I'm just telling you. They have a platform in the center of the room. As we have it in front, theirs is in the center. 
uh, and it's raised. We're on, a, we're, I'm on stage two, even though it's a little one. It's not much different there, but that's on purpose in the synagogue for the Bible, the word of God to be raised above. And they keep it in a room in the back. Uh, forget it has a name. I forget what it is, but they go back, they get the, that out. They open it up on top of that raised platform. Everybody's looking up at it. They read from it. Everyone stands as they read from it, and then they all sit down, including the one on the stage, so that the word remains higher symbolically, and then they talk about it, or whoever's going to talk like I'm doing then would would talk about it from that point. Um, But for those who do insist that, oh, man, you've got to stand if the word's being read, look at the the next verse. Look what verse 6 says. Then you also should put your hands up. And your face is to the ground. We like to do that with music, don't we? Now, John had some uh, inspired movements a minute ago, you know. But but we we like to, uh, if we really get good and emotional in music, which we should. I'm not. Uh, this is great, hundred percent. Arms go up, hands go up, whatever. I, I tend to go the other way. If I'm really getting moved by music, I tend to feel weight. So I my head goes down. Sometimes I might even take a knee. Um, both are happening right now to these people, but not from music. It's just the Bible being read. He ain't even preaching. He's just, that's Southern where he ain't even. He's, he is just the word. Have you ever felt like that? Like somebody's just reading a word? Like I feel like half the time we, we, we wrestle with how much longer we got or, uh, you know, these pages are boring or I'm sleepy or whatever. Like the weight of just hearing the word read is causing their hands to go up and their faces to go down. You know, that is the kind of reverence when it's talking about standing up. It also says, note, in the sight of all the people that it was open. Why note that? Well, for one, because we want to know how they respond, and, and he's telling you that. But another thing I think is important is, no doubt who's talking here. This is not Ezra saying, hey, God told me to tell you. This is not Ezra saying that, uh, well, the Bible says that, blank, blank, blank. This is not Ezra saying, Dada. this is God's word, and we know it because he opened it in front of everybody. Let that be how you witness, FYI. You want to share the gospel with people? Open the book. That gets dangerous, though, right? Because what happens if they ask something you don't know? I, I know. I got all that. But open the book, man. Don't just say John 3.16. Turn to John 3.16. What if they ask about John 3.17? Great. Let's talk about that. And 18 and 19 and 20 and 21 and 22. I mean, be excited about it. Not afraid of it. If you don't know the answer, totally cool. You get to learn, too. It's all right. But let it be his word that speaks. That's one of the reasons why I always pray the way I do before we start, why I always tell you to get a Bible, why we don't put all of it up here, because I'm I'm trying to guard against you thinking my word matters. It doesn't. I mean, I hope it is important to you if it points you into his word. But what I want to see is you guys looking. I need your faces to look. If you never look down, I'm failing. You know what I mean? That That's how I feel. So look down at verse 6 and let's go on. 
Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. That was our song earlier. Lifting their hands up, and they bowed their heads, and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And Jeshua, Bani, names off a group here of Levites who are there. He says he helped the people, that they helped the people to understand the law. Great point there, too. While the people remained in their places, so they didn't go off into rooms, they stood right there with them as it was being read and helped them understand. They read from the book, from the law of God, see there it says law of God, it's not just law of Moses, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. We'll come back to that and finish through this. Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Don't mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. They hear it, and they're crying. They're emotional, and they're like, don't cry. Verse 10, then he said, go your way. Eat the fat, drink the sweet. We read this already. Celebrate. Be happy. Share with your blessings. He says, don't be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. What he means by that is enjoy God right now. Celebrate God right now because you're going to need this day in the future. Days are going to come in the future when it's going to get hard and it's going to get tough and there's going to be battles and we're going to face a lot. We are no means at peace right now. We're going to face a lot. And the joy of the Lord is going to be your strength. So be full of joy right now. Like celebrate. We, we've accomplished. So this is a big day. Like stop and celebrate it because you'll need this celebration later. Verse 11. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Don't be grieved. Um, they're not being mean. Not be quiet. Church. You know, calm the people. It's okay. Verse 12. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions that means to share and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. And the word goes on to be mentioned many times against uh, across chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10. I won't read it all. Chapter 9, verse 3, you can just mark it. It says they stood up in their place and they read from the book of the law and the, of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. And for another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. <laughs> Half the day. One quarter, they're reading straight from the word again. And then the other quarter, they're on their face confessing their sins to God and worshiping him. Chapter 9, you can read in your own time, tells the story of God from his word. It's not just a piece of it. It's all of it. Go back. You can go read it because now we've done it. So now you can go back and read it and go, yep, we went over that. Yep, we went over that. He's basically doing the same thing we're doing and telling the story from the word. So he's all but directly putting the word in there. And the last chapters of the book are designated to assigning places and responsibilities to people according to the word. You can read that in your own time. So note this clearly as we finish this up. There is no powerful, miraculous display going on right here. You know, there's no uh, miracles being done to ooh and awe all the people. There's just a focused return to the word of God. That's all. A complete desire to know his word and to submit to his word. That's, that's the only thing happening here. Knowing that if it becomes life, there's nothing else to be concerned about. And also recognizing that all of the past horrors have been a result of abandoning it in the first place. I think if you find yourself in a dark spot, 
the best place to start is where's the word in your life right now? Like what role does the word play in your life right now? The key to God is not a show. It's not even a song. It, it, it might be a psalm. It is his word. That, that's it. That's the key. And guess what, man? You're all holding it. Like you have it in your hand. You're holding it. You have the ability to share the key to God with anybody you want and to withhold it from anybody you want. Think about that. So let me summarize this real clearly for you, okay? And you can note them if you want, but I'm going to summarize that really clearly. A clear, easy pathway, very practical thing for you to think of that comes from this text. First of all, you have people who are able to understand the word. That's most people. Like, I understand English. If you don't understand English, you might be, this might be a struggle. But if you understand English, like, you're able to understand the word. So that's box number one. Then they're attentive to the word. So they're focused on it, anticipating something. I want to hear something here. Like, I'm not just, like, standing here and able to hear that you're blabbing over there. Like, I am, I want to hear what it says. I'm attentive to it. And then they're listening to the word. That doesn't just mean, okay, I hear you talking, I understand it's going in. No, it means I'm taking what you're giving me and I am writing it down if I have to. Like, I want to know this. That's what it means to listen like that. Like, I need to know this. I want it inside of me. I want to know it. And then they gave the, they were given the meaning. It's not just what you want to hear. It's not just what pleases you. It's what should it, what does it mean? Is it insulting? It should be. If, unless you're not a sinner, if you're not a sinner, then you can hug it out. But for most of us, according to the Bible, all of us, it should be a bit insulting in places. In other places, it might be encouraging. But it should be all of that. Tell me what it means. If it's going to hurt my feelings, I don't care. I want to know. Tell me. Now, if I put my hand in fire and it's going to burn, tell me it's going to burn. You know? Then they taught the plain sense of the word. I'm just pulling, I'm just telling you exactly what was in that paragraph we just read. They taught the plain sense of the word. This one is one that I battle with. Some others might battle with too. I don't know. But it's this attempt to go deep. Or to find some deeper meaning. Not that it's not there. It is there. But I'm trying to, I find, you know, I slip in. I'm, am I trying to impress you with something right now? Am I trying to make you think I know, know this better than you? I've studied it longer. I got, no, the plain sense. Just help me understand, like, right where I'm at. Tell me what it means. Just, like, right where I'm at. Don't change the meaning. Don't simplify the meaning. Tell me what it means. But, but help me understand what it means. Like, Help me put it, don't take it out and make it about me if it's not about me, but also help me understand it. And then the honest reaction to the word, to truly hearing it here, is tears. It's not, I'm claiming my miracle. Best believe I'm going to get what God owes me now that I read the book. Not, that's not what happens. When they really get in there and start reading it, the opposite happens, like, brokenness i'm sure it's tears of sorrow i'm sure it's also tears of joy like if you've wrestled with grace you and i talked about this several times bro i mean if you wrestle with grace like it should bring it should bring tears at some point dear tears of joy like god how could you love me like that how can you still love me like that you know 
And then there's a responsibility to do the same with others. Look back at verse 7 where it says it's not just Ezra anymore. Those who are equipped with understanding begin to teach others also. They're working together. They're helping everybody understand. It's not just one person, Ezra. It's people that Ezra are, is, is united with equipping others to understand. Ladies and gentlemen, that's called making disciples. That's what it is. That's what Ezra came to Jerusalem for. You don't have to turn to it, but in Ezra's book, the book before, in Ezra 7, verse 10, it says, Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. At the time, he was in Persia. He said, I'm going to go teach God's word in Israel. I'm going to go make disciples in Israel. And that's exactly what he did. And in order to do that, he studied. He set himself in place to do that, but the goal was to go do that first, not just to get a degree so that maybe it'll work out one day. Like that was the intent. Jesus said, you know this very well, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. go therefore and make disciples. That's what it means. What we just described is what making disciples means of all nations, everybody, which means you might have to learn the language or get somebody who knows it. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. There's the words to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I'm with you to the end of age. How long will it teach, take you to teach everything Jesus has taught you? I'm 50. That might take a minute. You know what I'm saying? It might take a minute. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2, 2, what you have heard or learned from me, Timothy, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust it to faithful men who will be able to teach Others also, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Like, I have this thing that God's given me because I come and I study and I want to entrust it to people. So if you haven't figured it out, there's a path here. All you got to do is figure out where you are and start moving. The path is you you, you hear. You hear. H-E-A-R. You hear. You study. You do. You, You live by it. You know, you hear, you study, you do, and then you teach. And then you entrust it, which means, okay, now it's yours. Go do the same, and then you repeat. It's a cycle of life. You, you, you realize you're always hearing, you're always studying, you're always doing, and then you're teaching, and then you're entrusting, and then you repeat. That's the way it works. Figure out where you are and take a step. And when you're sharing the word, hey, That's easy, man. This is a great principle here, too. Look for those who are able to understand. If they don't understand you, you you realize you're going to be banging your head, right? Look for those who are able to understand you. Look for those who are attentive to hear. Like, I want to hear what you're talking about. Don't know, but I want to hear. If they don't want to have anything to do with you, you're wasting your time. They're able to hear. They're attentive to hear. And then they're listening to learn. Like, they're not just waiting to get their word in. They want to hear what you're trying to say. That's the way evangelism is powerful. That's the way it needs to be done. So in John 1, 1, we'll get there in a couple of weeks. The word becomes flesh and dwells among us. Jesus. You cannot, cannot know the key to God as a book and not also a person. If you love If you love this word, you're going to love Jesus, I'm telling you right now. And if you love Jesus, you're going to have a hunger for this word. Both are going to exist. 
We're going to catch another song. John, you can come back up. And uh, if you guys want to stand up with me and we'll pray. Uh, I I don't want to be all dramatic, but I also want to take a few minutes and reflect on this a little bit. And I'm talking about me too, like all of us. And, and and just close your eyes for a second, not not to hide anything from you, but to take distractions away for just a second. And and I want you to think about this. Where are you on this path? You know, do you know Jesus first of all? Is this is this where you need to start? Have you you need to surrender your life to Him? Is that where it needs to begin? Following Jesus begins with the gospel. You hear those words all the time. Do you know what it is? Can you tell somebody what the gospel is? That Jesus is who he says he is. That he came uh, being all God and all man, lived a perfect life that none of us can live. Because we are all sinners and hopelessly separated from God. Facing certain death. But Jesus came, lived that perfect life, and then took it to a cross in our place. That's what the cross is about, dying for our sin, dying in our place. And that three days later, he rose from the grave because there's no chance a grave is going to hold him. He created all things. He's the creator of the universe. The grave has got no chance of holding him. He didn't do that to flex his muscles. He did that because the grave can hold us. He did it. Uh, Not just to die for us, but to rise for us. So that when we put our faith in him, we can have that same hope. That's the gospel. If that's you today, that's where you start. Tell him. God, I need that. I need you, Jesus. I need to trust in you. I know I'm a sinner. I, I, I know it. I give my life to you. I trust you. I trust that what you did on the cross was enough. Teach me. Help me hear. Help me see. And then help me teach others. Lord, I pray that people would be bold enough to do that today if they haven't done it before. And if they have, Lord, if we're all believers in this room and we've all given our lives to you, help us make disciples. Lord, help us glorify your name by being obedient to your word and giving it to others. Learning it, knowing it, studying it, being excited about it, being hungry for it, and pouring it into other people. I love you, Lord. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.